today on Ag News Daily. Sharing tips on how do you cook with onions? How do you cook them? How do you cook? How do you chop them without shedding tears? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. I, I hope that wasn't too loud for you, popping out in your ears there when I said hello. No, sounds good. Oh, good, good. I, you know, sometimes loud noises, bright lights, those can uh, those can give people headaches, I've heard. Yeah, they sure can. I agree. Yeah, yeah. People who have been uh, helping reduce some of the overall grain and barley surplus. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us, and it sounds like you're almost running at 100%, Delaney. So why Come don't you on. tell us who are we going to be talking to today, because you've got another conversation yeah. from the uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasters. Yeah, so I got to talk to some interesting folks last week. I think today, Mike, we'll talk about onions because there's actually an onion association. I uh, chatted with Kim Redden, who actually now works for the Colorado Corn Growers Association. We talked a little bit about that, too, but she used to work for the National Onion Growers Association, so I picked her brain at uh, NAFB last week, and I think we're going to talk about onions today. Do you I, like onions? I, I do. Sometimes I'm just in need of a good cry, and I'll just uh, <laughs> chop some onions. Well, we up. talk about that. We talk about, um, you know, what's the best way to cut an onion so you don't cry. I ask her about the gum thing, if that's a myth or if it's true. Oh, okay. I don't know the gum thing, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, you've never heard that if you chew gum while you're cutting onions you're not supposed to cry no but it's like supposed to help you from crying i'll be honest i don't think i've ever cried while cutting an onion I, maybe i'm just cutting the wrong ones uh well we also talk about why onions make you cry so it's i think it's pretty fascinating all right well i'm looking forward to it but before we get into that what do you say should we hit some of the headline news topics that are driving our industry let's do it i'm going to kick it off here by talking about trade going on with the EU because Robert Lighthizer and uh, the EU's trade commissioner, Cecilia Malmström, sat down on Wednesday to talk through trade going on between the U.S. and the EU to try and get, uh, would it be considered bilateral even though the EU is a multi-nation group? I believe so because the EU okay. negotiates trade on behalf of mm -hmm. all of its member nations. So I think it is a okay. bilateral agreement. All right. Well, they were talking about this bilateral bilateral agreement, and she basically threatened that if President Trump does slap any tariffs or duties on the EU auto industry, they've got a list of products covering many different sectors that could face penalties if uh, President Trump does do that. Also, this is the part that was shocking and a little bit worrisome to me. She said, told Robert Lighthizer that, they are interested in pursuing a bilateral trade talk. Realistically, something won't get put in place or the scope of these talks can't be defined until early 2019. But she said if the Trump administration keeps pushing for agriculture to be included in the deal or even if ag is listed as a negotiating objective, then talks between the EU and the U.S. are likely to freeze. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, so they want to touch on everything but ag. That's kind of what it sounds like, unfortunately. Well, 
Yeah, that is unfortunate because it is with regard to agriculture that at least we see the most pernicious uses of uh, non-tariff barriers. Oh, that was a good word, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Delaney. My brain is always operating at 110%. (laughs) That's kind of how I roll. Okay, good. Sure. Um, so that, uh, that is something to keep an eye on. We'll see if anything gets brought up there. We'll see. I'm guessing we will probably call that bluff at some point and try to roll mm-hmm. egg into these discussions and see if the EU does indeed freeze those negotiations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be my take. But we also had some good news come from uh, Robert Lighthizer earlier today. Definitely caused the soybean market to go a little crazy earlier in the day on the, uh, the hmm. good side of the ledger for producers. Yeah, and finally. That was that. Robert Lighthizer said that we are not going to see the uh, next round of tariffs against China roll out anytime soon. He said the, uh, the next round on Chinese imports has been put on hold, and that caused uh, a little bit of a spark under the equities market and certainly helped... Uh, remove some of the fear in the soybean markets. How much of a difference did it make today? I haven't looked at the markets yet. Um, midday, it was quite a bit of difference. We were at one point up mm. uh, 10 to 12 cents in uh, in the oh, soybean oh, wow. contracts. We closed not nearly up that high, but still in the green for the day. Okay. Well, you know, you got to sell on the rumor or the story, I suppose. Yeah, buy the rumor, sell the news, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got some other news on the trade front. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence is in Singapore today and is also getting to talk to Japan. That was his uh, first leg of the tour, Singapore today. He said he met with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, and the two discussed bilateral trade. And Japan is very interested, apparently, in reducing its trade surplus with the U.S., So those bilateral trade talks are expected to begin in January. Interesting. Well, Japan, if you want to reduce that trade surplus, you can step in here and buy a ton of American pork and more American delicious Mm -hmm. grain-fed beef, and that would certainly help. Yeah, I think, where was I? Oh, I was reading an article on Reuters today that was talking about uh, how a lot of countries in Asia They already eat a lot of pork and beef, but they're continuing to see that demand increase. You betcha. Once people get a little bit of that flavor on their tongue, Delaney, they just crave more and more and more of it. At least that's how I operate. (laughs) Once I eat a a ribeye, I want to eat the rest of the ribeyes. (laughs) Yeah, well, you could just settle for like one really big ribeye. No, they're better, I think. My personal opinion is the medium-sized ribeyes, those those 12 to 16 ounces are the best. Mm -hmm. And then you just have to eat multiples of them to get to that 72-ounce. The doctors recommended 72-ounce ribeye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot of that uh, that ribeye, of course, is being fed with grain. That's what we do here in this country. Around the world, we see them fed on grass. We see them fed on, uh, you know, whatever else uh, farmers can get their hands on. And in China, we see a lot of that pork being raised on soybean meal, just like it is here in this country. And that is part of why we were thinking China would need to step back into the American soybean market and make some bean purchases to keep their hog herd fed. However, there is currently a conference going on right now in Delaney. I think this is a conference we need to uh, make plans to attend next year. 
Okay. This is the Global Grain Conference, and it is currently going on in Geneva, Switzerland. Oh, I love Switzerland. Oh, yeah. I love chocolates and fine watches. It's been a while since I've been to Switzerland. I would absolutely go back next year for the conference. Well, we should try to make plans to go. I love uh, any trip to a foreign country that I can write off. I'm a big fan of all of that. <laughs> but they're, this conference is going on, and yesterday they had a lot of uh, grain traders talk. One of them was uh, Gary McGugan, I believe, who is the uh, president of Global Trade at ADM. And he mm-hmm. was talking about how we've been expecting China to step back into the U.S. market for beans And now that's looking less and less likely. Between the purchases that China made at the end of last year, snapping up what was left of Brazil's harvest, and the fact the bean crop down in South America looks to be maturing rather quickly, they might be able to squeak by Mm -hmm. until those early harvests in South America really start to get rolling, thereby cutting out the U.S. almost entirely for this marketing year in soybean purchases. Yeah, I had a conversation oh last week or two weeks ago on market to market about this. Sometimes I forget to like translate stuff I learned there onto the podcast, but I was talking with Naomi Bloom about it. She's been following it a lot, following the uh, early planting and then the early harvest projections for Latin American countries. And then we also you look at uh, continuing to cull hogs for the African swine fever. Yeah. I think those factors don't line up pretty. No, they don't. They they definitely tell us we need to continue to find other buyers around the world, which has included mm-hmm. the uh, European Union throughout this uh, growing season, marketing season. Yep. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, yeah. Better to have better to have a buyer than no buyer. Yes. Well, let's see. I have another piece of interesting news here. When we look at the biofuel industry, a group of a group representing biofuel companies, they won't disclose which ones, asked a federal judge on Tuesday to force the EPA to stop exempting small refineries from renewable fuels. And until the lawsuit that's going on right now, challenging the agency's action is resolved. So that lawsuit was filed, I think, August, I want to say, September or August of this year. Um, But basically, this group just came forward and said, hey, please stop allowing small refineries to be exempt until we get this lawsuit taken care of, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know how that goes. Absolutely. And I mean, I think at this stage in the game, everybody who truly needs an exemption has already gotten one, given how uh, willy-nilly they've been handing those out this year to uh, refineries, big and small, profitable and, uh, and not so profitable. I mean, they all should have them by now. Anybody reaching their hand into that cookie jar ought to get smacked, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, that's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little little, little salty on that topic. A little frosty. Are you? Mm. Well, let's see. Speaking of frosty, uh, weather has been quite a factor in uh, the growing season this year as it has been in years past. And we've got snow right now falling across parts yeah. of Illinois, Indiana, well, the Northeast, Michigan, Kentucky, freezing rain, garbage weather. Um, <laughs> but we've got an update out of Georgia from Hurricane Michael. A lot of growers were anticipating that pecan prices would see a little bit of a rally since the crop was basically cut in half and long-term losses are at least a quarter of that crop with trees being uprooted and torn down. However, 
there has not been much of a price rally at all currently. The price, the average price for pecans is about 80 cents less per pound than what growers were receiving last year. And one of the big reasons for that continues to be the tariffs put on Georgia pecans from China. Even mm. though we've seen this harvest cut in half or more due to the hurricane, that reduced demand from those Chinese tariffs has countered that reduced harvest and prices just aren't rallying as much as they'd expect it. However... They did say that the pecan harvest is in process, and perhaps as we get a little farther into it, maybe some of the processors will recognize just how short the crop really is. And there could still be a possibility for a rise in prices, but I would say right now, if you are planning on baking a pecan pie there for Thanksgiving, get out there and, and get those bought, just in case those prices do start to rally here as we head into the later part of this month, early part of December. Oh, that's a good segue into my last piece of news, talking about Thanksgiving, Mike. Well, take it away, Delaney. Segways only work okay. if you segue into the next topic with it. Yeah, okay, thanks. Thanksgiving dinner costs are dropping for the third straight year, and turkey prices are the lowest in the past 10 years. The, the average turkey price will average $1.45 per pound this year. Cranberries are 30% cheaper than five years ago at about 50 cents a pound. The price of sugar is about comparable to last year. Potatoes are about 60 cents per pound, and flour is compared is uh, comparable to last year. But the overall price of Thanksgiving dinners this year are going to be a lot cheaper. Interesting. Now, what are the uh, what are the price of prime rib doing? Because that's what really matters on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a Thanksgiving food, Mike. That's yeah, a Christmas abs- food. No, it is 110% Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas and Easter and Fourth of July food. I'm kind of impartial. I like a good cooked ham. Oh, sure, sure. You know, my grandma always used to uh, glaze her hams with Coca-Cola, and it was really, really mm, good. That does sound really good. Yeah. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you my top three turkey facts for you too? Always. I, I love turkey factoids. <laughs> Okay, um, 46 million turkeys are eaten each Thanksgiving, 22 million on Christmas, and 19 million on Easter. Okay. 88% of Americans surveyed by the National Turkey Federation eat turkey on Thanksgiving. 88%, Mike. So 12% are, are eating prime rib. That is a small yeah. but growing number. And in 2012, the average American ate 16 pounds of turkey. Oh, Oh, not not on Thanksgiving, all year round. No, yeah, 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 all year round. I was thinking, man, that is getting it done, America. Hats <laughs> off to you if you're able to put down 16 pounds of turkey in a day. No. Well, I would say, listeners, if you are planning on eating a turkey for Thanksgiving, prices are cheap enough, just go ahead and get two. Bake one, fry the other, and that way you'll always have leftovers because that's kind of the highlight of Thanksgiving anyway. Yeah. Are you, are a, you, ready for... uh, are you a cranberry what? sauce fan, Delaney? You know, I can't really ever say that I've had it, I don't think. Okay. All right, I like I'll... cranberries, so I think I would like it. What yeah. do you put it on? You put it on turkey and stuff. Oh, yeah, I don't just I just don't think I've ever had it. Okay. I'm I, I'm agnostic on it. I know my mom loves it. That's like her favorite thing to have at Thanksgiving. And so we always have just scads of it sitting around the table. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't, I think cranberry goes best in juice form with some Tito's. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, it's got antioxidant properties, which is what's right. good for you. 
It's very healthy for you. Yes, that's what I tell myself as well. Yeah. Uh, it's all about delusion. <laughs> well, no delusions. We've got green on the screen today. As we take a look at the markets, Delaney, do you have any other news or should we jump into the prices? Um, you know, Actually, I do have one other piece of news because I thought this was interesting. Um, Senate Agriculture Committee Pat, Chairman, or, uh, Pat Roberts is trying to get a meeting today between all four principal farm bill negotiators, but... This is interesting. He said, quote, three of us think we have a good farm bill, uh, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the fourth one they're talking about, and he blatantly called him out to reporters, is uh, Mike Conaway saying that Mike is making it different, difficult to get this wrapped up. And Mike Conaway says the plan does not seem acceptable, and he's been kind of putting his foot down. Well, but I just thought that was interesting that they literally called him out. Yeah. And singled him out for reporters. Well, and, you know, Conaway's doing his job. He's there to speak on behalf of House Republicans, and they want to see some kind of a uh, of additional work restrictions in yeah. SNAP funding. So that's, you know, that's his job is to represent those people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can blame Mike for that entirely or Representative Conaway. Right. So, I don't know. But you're right. It, it does certainly does make it a bit of a struggle to get something passed here before the end of the session. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, the session has ended on LaSalle Street, so let's see where these prices ended up. And listeners, if you want to get in touch with some high-quality, talented analysts who are based right there on LaSalle Street in downtown Chicago, get in touch with our friends at the Zaner Group. They can help you prepare and execute a marketing plan to mitigate your marketing risk. So give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. As I mentioned, green on the screen today in the grain. Starting with corn, the December contract was up half a cent at 367.5. The March was up a quarter to close at 378 and a quarter. Soybeans still in the green, though off their earlier highs. The January contract closed up five and a quarter cents at 888 and three quarters. The March up above nine dollars, up five and a half cents at 902 and a quarter. And green in the Chicago wheat, the December contract up two and a half cents at five oh five and a half. The March up two and three quarters to close at five fourteen and three quarters. Looking over at the livestock side of the ledger, strength in live cattle, the December was up fifty five cents at one fifteen fifteen. February up fifty cents to close at one nineteen ten. Mixed trade in feeder cattle, the November contract was down thirty five cents at one forty eight sixty two and a half. The January up eighty seven and a half to close at one forty seven eighty five. And a little bit of strength in the front month lean hog contract. December up seven and a half cents at fifty seven oh seven fifty. February strong gains up a dollar forty to close at sixty three seventy five. Looking over at the dairy industry, slight losses on the day. The November contract was down a penny at fourteen fifty six, with the December also off a penny to close at fourteen eighty nine. Now let's go to Kansas City with Delaney Howell and have a conversation about what's going on with onions. Okay, so podcasters i ran here ran into here kim reddit who used to work for the national onion growers association kim i didn't even know that there was a national onion growers association I, there's definitely a national onion association based in greeley colorado and yeah it's a it's a great organization great group of growers and they've been in an organization since 1913 so been around a day or two 
Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about onion production. You don't work there still, but you just have a plethora of knowledge about onions. Layers uh, of information. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I like that fun. Um, so tell me, where are onions grown in the United States? So the top three onion producing areas are California, Washington, and then the Treasure Valley, which is right on the Oregon-Idaho line. Interesting. And how many onion growers would you say make up the National Onion Growers? Approximately 500 members belong to the Onion Association, and really it's from California to New York and North Dakota to Texas. So we really cover about 20 states that do commercial production. And I say we like I'm still there, but (laughs) the organization does. Did you used to grow onions? I have never grown onions except for a few in my backyard and my garden. So how did you get hooked up then doing that job? You know, I was uh, looking for a job and really wanted to get back into agriculture and had no idea that they were in my very own hometown. And when I saw the posting for it, I applied and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, so if a lot of onions are grown in kind of the western states, why did they headquarter it in uh, Greeley, Colorado? So originally the headquarter was in Ohio. The organization actually started, five growers got together in 1913 in the Scioto Marsh of Ohio and said, hey, we, you know, we need an organization to represent us. And then it moved from there after uh, kind of in the 40s, moved to Michigan. And in the 80s, a lot of the onion production was in the western part of the U.S. And it was decided that they would move the offices to Colorado, central to a major airport for importers and exporters to come in and out of. That's fascinating. Okay, so where you're saying importers, exporters, where were a lot of these onions going? Were they not staying domestically? So there was a lot of interest in um, the Asian Pacific Rim to buy onions from the United States during a season when they didn't have enough onions to, to, to fill their own needs overseas. And so the western ports were the ideal location for them to pull onions from the U.S. and ship them over the Pacific. I really don't know anything about onions, so I feel like I'm kind of coming at this uh, from a blank slate. What kind of onions do people grow? Because I'm just picturing like the onions you see in your backyard in the garden. That's whatever the got the green tops. Green tops. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So there's really three main colors of bulb onions, and that would be yellow, white, and red. And they there's thousands of different varieties of those colors, um, and there's the other thing that's always fascinating that most people don't know, including myself when I started there, that there's two seasons in the United States. So there's the fall and winter season that we're in now. Those That, that type of onion that you see in the store have thick, dark paper layers of skin. Um, they tend to be a little bit more pungent um, and lower in water content. So they're perfect for all of those slow cooking dishes that you do. So, you know, a roast or a stew or soup or all of those things. And then in the summertime, that spring-summer harvest season is actually down south. So you think about Texas and New Mexico, um, Georgia, famous Fidelia onions. Those are all in the spring and summer, and they're milder. They typically, um, that's where you get all of your sweet onion varieties from the United States is that time frame. And so those kind of make up the gambit. But it's cool because we have a year-round supply of onions from the United States because of that. Wow. Wow. I I am uh, going to be an onion expert, I think, by the end of this. Um, what's the growing season like? Then you said there's two seasons, but is it like a 
three months they planted and it's so here here's a fun fact anybody that's ever heard of the 1015 texas sweet onions that was actually named the 1015 because that's the plant date so the the ideal planting time for the south is generally this time of year so georgia is probably in the midst of planting onions right now and we'll try to wrap that up um, you know, as close to Thanksgiving or early December as possible. And then those onions will first be available to us as consumers in early April, early to mid-April. So, um, you know, the fall is the time for the spring and summer harvested onions to get planted. And then spring is the time that the fall and winter onions are harvested. And it's about a 120-day growing process. So by the time the seed goes in the ground to having a, a fully ready plant that's ready to harvest 120 days. So you mentioned that the association, the Onion Association, doesn't have a checkoff program like a lot of other commodities. What were you guys doing then? What, I mean, what, as an association, what roles were you playing? We had two predominant roles um, in the association, and that's advocacy on government, um, lobbying, whatever policies that they were interested in, in advocating for or against. That was one of the primary objectives of the association. And then the second one was to promote onions. And I realize that might sound funny to people, but um, in 1983, when they started the program, the consumption of onions in the United States was 12 pounds per person per capita. And today we're at 20 pounds per person per capita. So the promotion program worked, and I think it continues to work because as we, as you and I, are working people, and we ha- I don't know if you have a family, but I do have a family, and my husband works, and so there's two people in our house at work, and, you know, sometimes you just don't take time to pass along those cooking lessons that maybe your mom or your grandma or, you know, your grandpa taught you, and we're taking those um, opportunities with customers and bloggers that do blogs and podcasts and sharing tips on how do you cook with onions how do you cook them how do you cook how do you chop them without shedding tears and what's the secret for that how do you chop an onion without without tears i've heard gum chewing gum is that true i've heard that um i've seen some crazy videos of a guy in hockey skates in a bathtub chopping them up with goggles on and chewing gum and claiming that he wasn't gonna cry um so there's all kinds of theories but really and truly the best thing i can suggest is use a really good knife and a sharp knife and if you want to chill them first that slows down that chemical reaction that causes your eyes to water but really it's about a good knife really do you do you know why so this the way the onion tissue and the cells are set up there's different chemicals on each side of the cell so the more you chop and cut or mash those cells you release more of those compounds that causes your eyes to water so it really is about you know, not you know not, not mashing the onion, yeah. but really making a good, clean, clear slice. Um, and if you think about a chef, they make very precise cuts. Um, and so, if you can use some of their same tips on cutting uh, and using a really good knife, it does help. That's fascinating. You're just a plethora of onion knowledge today. Um, <laughs> before we talk for about a girl your... who works for the corn organization, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? we absolutely are going to get to that here in a second. Do you have any other tips about how to properly cook an onion? So I learned a really cool tip from a chef, and I love raw onions, but sometimes they can just be a little more overpowering than what I want, and especially in the fall and the winter because they do tend to have a little bit more pungency to them. So 
I take mine and I soak them in ice water. And I'll, so if I know I'm going to eat them, like on a burger, I mean, nothing better than a good burger with a nice crisp onion on top of it in my book. So if you want that, but you don't want the extra flavor that the onion might have this time of year, soak it in ice water overnight, drain it off, rinse them off, stick it on that burger, you're ready to go. So that's a good tip. And I love pickled onions too, and that's a great way to enjoy a raw onion with that texture, but a different flavor profile, which you can add to pulled pork sandwiches, or you can add to the top of salads. I just love them. But I'm sort of an onion fan all the way around uh, from working at the association for almost 14 years. So I love them grilled. I love them roasted. I love them caramelized. I'm really pretty sure I've never met an onion I didn't like. (laughs) Okay, so we're done. We're going to move on here from the onion topic because you do do something else really neat. You work for the Colorado Corn Growers Association. Tell me about the transition from going from onions to now corn. It has been quite the transition for me. I, I left my post with the Onion Association in February, stepped into shoes that I am enjoying filling with the Colorado Corn Growers Association. It is just a different industry in contrast to um, to onions because, as you know, corn is in so many different products and a lot of things that you just don't really think about until you're introduced to them. So I've learned that you know corn is in crayons, corn is in tires, corn is in plastic, and of course corn is in all of the great protein products that we enjoy and you just don't stop to think about where corn is and all the good things and the fact that you can put corn in your gas tank it burns cleaner and I absolutely have been fascinated by learning more about ethanol I have no idea why as an ag kid I didn't know more about ethanol until I started working for Colorado corn but that's probably been the thing I've been most excited about so again I'm a little naive about where corn is grown in Colorado what regions of the state because when I think of Colorado I think a lot of grazing a lot of wheat corn isn't really a one that comes to mind which is interesting because it is the top top grain crop in the state and corn is really widespread on the western side of the state Um, there's not a lot of corn grown over on the uh, on the eastern side of the state not on the western side of the state but in the southwest around delta there is quite a bit of corn grown in that area so really it's it's not in the northwest corner of the state, but everywhere else. What are some issues that corn growers in Colorado are working on right now? I think the biggest thing for the guys this year, um, from a standpoint of getting a crop in the ground, out of the ground, we've just faced a lot of drought um, and some pockets of pretty severe hail for Colorado. Um, and those two things have been a challenge, but they've been fortunate to have decent weather through most of the fall you know, harvest season. Um, We should be getting pretty close to getting it all wrapped up in Colorado, which I know these guys are going to be glad to do that and then be able to look forward to the next plant season. So, yeah, absolutely. What, uh, retail-wise, where are a lot of farmers sending their corns? Do you guys have a lot of co-ops? Do you have ethanol plants in Colorado? So the biggest customer of corn in Colorado is the livestock industry, and the second one would be ethanol. And we do have four ethanol plants in Colorado. So there are a fair amount of the grain crop that goes to elevators and to livestock operators, and then the, the rest of that then into the ethanol facility. Oh, interesting. Do you have any other uh, final thoughts for me about corn or onion? 
corn or onion? You know, I think it's just about enjoying our time at NAFB and really enjoying meeting people like me meeting you and you meeting me and sharing these stories, and that's been really fun. Yeah, you never know who you're going to run into. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate it. Thank you, too. Appreciate it. All right. Well, again, that was Kim Redden there. Interesting stuff going on in the onion industry and also uh, in our fellow state corn growers association of Colorado. Absolutely. Brought a tear to my eye, Delaney. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> I'm so funny. You know what's not oh, yeah. funny, though, Delaney? What? What's not funny, Mike? Tell me. Missing past episodes of Ag News Daily. If listeners have done that, and that is very possible given that our, our iTunes feed has been screwy this entire week, where mm-hmm. should they go to get caught up? Well, absolutely head to agnewsdaily.com, which is now actually the globalagnetwork.com. We have all of our past episodes there. I believe they are all streaming on a website. You can also interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to the podcast directly from those two platforms if you'd like as well. Just follow along with us at Ag News Daily. Shoot us comments, concerns, questions, etc. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.